Hello everyone, and welcome to our Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable Series, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Philippe Durand, partner at Auguste de Bouzy in France. Each year, we kick off our program with a special series of Year in Review programs broken down by region and focusing on the most impactful regulations of the past year, as well as forecasting on important topics that will impact employers in the coming year. Today, joining us, we have an ELA member representing Austria in the EU. Joining us on the program is Nina Neumeyer. Nina is a good friend of mine, and uh, she's an associate with uh, Sarah Hempel in, uh, in Austria. Nina, good to have you on the program today. Are you calling today from Vienna in the office, or are you home? Hello, Philippe. Yeah, I'm currently in my office in Vienna. And yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here today. Excellent. Nina, let's start with, uh, as we prepared for this podcast, you were telling me about the Work-Life Balance Directive, EU Directive. Would you please, first of all, give us some insight about uh, the way it's been transposed? Because I do understand it's been transposed by Austria, if you could confirm that, and also tell us a few words about its effect on Austrian law in general. As you for sure know from France, the Work-Life Balance Directive was actually supposed to be implemented by the EU member states by August 2nd, 2022, But as with similar directives, many countries missed this deadline. And Austria, yeah, Austria missed this deadline too. But however, managed to implement the directive almost one and a half years later, by the end of 2023. And this implementation brought numerous legislative changes, even though Austria already had legislation in place that provided for conditions equivalent to or even more generous than those outlined in the directive. And yeah, in Austria, most of the changes into force on November 1st, 2023. So that's the end of 2023, Nina. Okay. Now for, yes. for our audience today, could you... Highlight for us some of the key aspects of those legal changes that are derived from that EU directive that, that were introduced by this work-life balance directive into your own local legislation. For sure, I can give an overview of the most important changes, which are, in my opinion, in the areas of parental leave, parental part-time, care leave, and also protection against discrimination. So let me start with the changes to parental leave. Previously, employees were entitled to parental leave until the child's second birthday. And following the implementation of the directive, this is only possible if parental leave is split between both parents and if each parent takes at least two months of parental leave. And with this newly introduced parental leave splitting, it is, of course, an important contribution for distributing caring responsibilities equally between both parents. However, if only one parent, for example, only the mother, takes parental leave, this entitlement lasts only until the child reaches the age of 22 months. Mm -hmm. But the law also provides for an exception where parents are still entitled to the full 24 months period of parental leave. And this exception applies for single parents, for example, if the parents do not live in the same household, 
or in case of death of one parent and for couples where one parent is not entitled to parental leave due to statutory law, for example, if he or she is self-employed, studying or unemployed. Nina, how about care leave? You said you were going to talk about that and also about parental part-time, please. Yeah, with regard to parental part-time, a basic distinction has to be made between employees who are entitled to parental part-time. This is particularly the case in companies with more than 20 employees and the respective employee being employed for an uninterrupted period of three years. And on the other hand, employees who have to agree on parental part-time with their employer. And previously, in the first case, the entitlement lasted until the child's seventh birthday. And in the second case, employees could agree with their employer and parental part-time until the child's fourth birthday. So following the implementation of the directive, employees in both cases have now the opportunity to parental part-time at the age of eight. This means a particularly improvement on the position of employees with agreed parental part-time, as previously these employees were only entitled to part-time work until the age of four. Last but not least, the implementation of the directive also had an impact on care leave provisions. Previously, care leave was only possible for sick close relatives living in the same household. As of now, care leave is also even possible if sick close relative does not live in the same household. For example, if the employee's mother, which he or she has to care, lives in another city. And if a sick person lives in the same household, but is not a close relative, this covers, for example, flatmates. Okay, very good. Nina, a few minutes ago, you were also talking briefly about discrimination. Could you, for our audience today, say a few words about the discrimination in, in connection with that EU directive? In addition to the before-mentioned legislative changes to implement work-life balance directive, there is also to mention the amendment of the Austrian Equal Treatment Act. Specifically, the Equal Treatment Act now also applies to and protects employees from discrimination on the grounds of parental leave, parental part-time, care leave, and other family matters. In simple terms, parenthood has now been added to the existing grounds of discrimination, such as gender, ethnicity, age, sexual orientation, religion or belief, and disability. What is also important to note that this newly introduced prohibition of discrimination is gender neutral. In practice, the extension of the scope of the Equal Treatment Act will primarily affect men as the majority of the previous discrimination cases in this regard have been related to indirect discrimination, usually based on the female gender. But that's a pretty significant move that parenthood would be part of the criteria for non-discrimination of Austria. And I think it's good to know. Now, let us move, Nina, if you would agree, away from this work-life balance directive. And for our audience today, could you tell us maybe about any other significant changes that employers would need to be aware of as far as Austrian law is concerned when you look backwards at 2023? 
Certainly, Philippe. I would like to now draw our listeners' attention to the recently enacted Austrian Whistleblower Protection Act, which marks a significant step towards creating a more transparent and accountable working environment. As of August 25, 2023, companies with 250 or more employees and as of December 17, 2023, companies with 50 to 249 employees have to establish an internal whistleblowing system. Although there are no monetary penalties if no internal whistleblowing system is implemented, employers are well advised to set up such system in order to stay ahead of possible breaches within the company and also to avoid that whistleblowers report a violation directly to the external whistleblowing channel of the competent authority for example, the Federal Competition Authority or Financial Market Authority. In practice, one of the most important questions when implementing an internal whistleblowing system is whether a shop agreement is required. If a company sets up an internal whistleblowing system which only aims to implement the mandatory minimum requirements under the Whistleblower Protection Act, there is no obligation for the employer to conclude such shop agreement with the Works Council. But if, on the other hand, violations of the law that are not covered by the scope of the Whistleblower Protection Act, for example, mobbing, sexual harassment, theft, can also be reported, the internal whistleblowing system is considered a so-called control system that affects human dignity, which results in the obligation to conclude a corresponding shop agreement with the Works Council or in absence of a Works Council to conclude an individual agreement with any affected employee. In our practical experience, it is quite important for employers to bear this in mind as most of the already existing whistleblowing channels do exceed the scope of the Whistleblower Protection Act. Nina, there's also a side effect of the whistleblowing regulation. I'm pretty sure it will be the same in Austria. How about the protection granted under Austrian law to a whistleblower? Good question. Another important aspect of the Whistleblower Protection Act is that whistleblowers are protected from any retaliation measures, for example, suspension, termination, disciplinary measures, downgrading, denial of promotion or refusal to participate in a certain training. If any of the protected uh, retaliation are taken, Whistleblowers are entitled to restitution of the lawful state of affairs. For example, if the employee was denied to participate in a particular training because of his or her reporting, the employee shall be allowed to participate in that training. And also compensation for pecuniary damage and compensation for personal impairment. Well, it's interesting to see, Nina, that in Austria, like in many EU jurisdictions, the whistleblowing regulations are, have a very strong impact in the employment area and in companies with vis-a-vis -vis employees. So all this is very good to know. As you may know, uh, and that will be the last part of our discussion today, in this year in review series, we like to also look at the future and look at 2024. So 
how do you think employers should deal with the current uh, difficult situation that we can hear of in the media as far as Austria is concerned? And what do you think are the most important aspects to be taken into account from an economic point of view for 2024? Yeah, I would say that the economic situation in Austria remains challenging, partly due to the global uncertainties and crises. And also because of Austria currently has the second highest inflation rate in the Eurozone at 5.6%. And even if the labor market looks quite solid in statistical terms, the recent insolvency of the well-known Austrian Sigma holding of Rene Benko, for example, gives an outlook on a potentially more tense economic environment for employers. Several Austrian companies in different industries have already announced cost-cutting measures for 2024. But this does not necessarily mean that the staff will be cut and that skilled workers will become available on a large scale. Instead, it is much more likely that recruitment will be just as challenging as employers are already used to and that employees will be even more critical of a potential change of employer than they already were in 2023. Also, the annual salary increases provided for in the different collective bargaining agreements for 2024 are higher than usual across all industry and market segments, ranging from around 8% in trade to almost 10% in the metal industry due to the high inflation in Austria. It is important to note that such mandatory salary increases apply to all companies in the respective industry, so regardless of their size or the revenue of the company. This therefore results in different impacts on the workforce within one industry as some companies can easily bear the corresponding higher personal costs. This will be the case in particular with regard to wholesale chains or large industrial companies, whereas for smaller companies, such additional costs can lead to economic difficulties and in the worst case to the closure of the company and outsourcing the business to low-income countries. Well, Nina, the difficult economic situation you're describing is no really different from the rest of the EU. It might be a bit worse in Austria, but unfortunately, that's the situation we face in many other jurisdictions in the rest of um, of the EU. I think it would be good for the last part of this podcast, Nina, if you could give us a few tips about restructuring, closing of plants, reorganizations, and maybe also social plans that unfortunately may most likely come ahead in view of the economic situation you were just describing. Yeah, when restructuring measures are necessary, for example, planned closure or downsizing programs, employers have to comply with various labor law provisions. And in our experience, employers are well advised to seek legal advice before implementing restructuring measures, as failure to comply with certain obligations in this regard may result in significant adverse consequences for the employer. 
In this regard, employers should consider that in case of prospective mass redundancies, for example, if it is planned to terminate at least five employees in companies with 21 to 99 employees, employers are required to notify the Austrian Public Employment Service 30 days in advance before giving notice or offering a mutual termination agreement. Although the Austrian Public Employment Service cannot prevent terminations completely, but shall with such notification have enough time to prepare for a higher number of unemployed people. Any failure to comply with this notification obligation will make all terminations null and void. And besides that, in existence of a works council, employers have to notify the works council of the planned mass um, dismissals, mass terminations immediately or at least in a timely manner that the works council can thoroughly discuss the planned um, collective dismissals with the employer. And in the following consultation process, the works council may propose measures to prevent or mitigate negative consequences for the employees arising out of the dismissals, for example, as part of a social plan covering the obligation to offer certain severance payments, outplacing support, or the establishment um, of a hardship fund. And what is important to know is that such a social plan has to be concluded as a shop agreement. And in the event of disagreement between the employer and the works council, it can also be enforced before the conciliation board if the restructuring entails significant disadvantages for all or significant parts of the workforce in companies where at least 20 employees are permanently employed. Well, thank you very much, uh, Nina. I, I certainly appreciated the uh, the practical approach you, you gave to us specifically in this last section about restructuring and rifts and uh, reorganizations. Uh, truly this looks a lot like France and uh, heavy constraints to be taken into account for employers having business and uh, staff in, in Austria. And I also appreciated the very open comments you were able to make about the Austrian economy uh, at uh, this time of the year. Truly, this is going to be a challenging year from an economic point of view in all of the EU and, and a lot of other Western countries. So thanks again. It's been a very interesting discussion, Nina, and especially helpful, I think, for employers doing business in Austria and thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you for having me, Philippe, and I wish you and our listeners a nice day. Thank you. And if you'd like to connect with Nina, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ELA.law, that's L-A-W, of course, or download our app by searching Employment Law Alliance in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Additionally, check out training.ela.law to access our training portal featuring online harassment prevention programs and much more. Information about all the programs available in the Year in Review series and other resources available on the event landing page at ela.law. You've been listening to the Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable, a series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Philippe Durand. 
Thanks for listening.